Hi, and welcome to Mindful, Beautiful, and Thriving, a podcast series by Tharaka Foundation focused on youth mental health. Before we begin today's episode, I just wanted to let you all know that all content that is found in our podcast is created for informational purposes only. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, treatment, or therapy. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition, and never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard in this podcast. Thank you so much, and without further ado, let's get started. Hello everyone, and welcome to Mindful, Beautiful, and Thriving. This podcast is about the treatment of ADHD. Today with us is Lena Kanzode, a child psychiatrist in private practice in the Bay Area. She is also an adjunct clinical faculty at Stanford University. What really is ADHD and how common is it? Thank you for having me, Vihan and Sowen. So ADHD is an acronym that stands for this uh, neuropsychiatric condition, which is called as Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. And typically we classify it as Somebody may have ADHD predominantly inattentive type in which they have primarily symptoms that are more related to inattention or low attention or difficulty with focus. And another way to classify is ADHD predominantly hyperactive impulsive type where the primary issue is hyperactivity or feeling really hyperfidgety and also having impulse control issues. Typically, people with ADHD tend to have all of these three categories of symptoms, inattention, hyperactivity, and impulse control issues. But sometimes we see certain kids have more of one kind or predominant presentation of, like they have just attention as an issue, not so much hyperactivity and impulse control. And some others have more of the hyperactivity and impulse control issues and the attention is not as bad. And that's why we classify that uh, differently. In general, girls tend to have inattentive type of ADHD and boys tend to more have the hyperactive impulsive type of ADHD. And it is extremely common. It used to be when I started my training 10 years ago, one in nine kids have ADHD. And now the more recent statistics are saying it's one in seven, sometimes even six to seven kids is the current prevalence of how common this is. And like I said, it's a neuropsychiatric condition. Basically, we understand that, um, you know, this could run in families. So you can be born with a little different wiring of your brain if it's running in your families. And so the part of the brain, our frontal lobe, that helps us to think and plan and what we call as a center of executive function is where the wiring might be a little bit different, uh, which is why people have these symptoms. And so they've done EEGs of kids who have ADHD and compared them with kids who don't have ADHD. And their EEGs looked different than the ones who didn't have ADHD. So the electrical activity in that part seems to sometimes be visibly different. They've also done scans and seen different ways of how different parts of the brain light up differently in kids with ADHD versus who don't have ADHD. So, So it's very much understand that there is a neurological basis to this condition. 
but the good news is that since a kid's brain is ever evolving and developing and you're growing until 25 years of age, your brain is developing that circuitry and there is more um, wiring and pruning happening of your neurons, which, which really helps for the full brain development. A lot of the times we see with that process, uh, about a third of kids can outgrow this condition by young adulthood. So it may be more of an issue in you know, elementary, middle, high school years, and often by late adolescence to adulthood, a lot of people tend to outgrow it, uh, but some end up needing to have the support and treatment ongoing. That's so interesting. I really had no idea that the amount of kids with ADHD increased in the past years. I thought it really just stayed the same, but it's, it's surprising that it increased from one out of nine to one and seven. It's kind of amazing just how like the statistics can change and it's kind of, it's different because you don't expect them to change. Yeah, and so I it, think one of the factors for that is just to interject there is identified as a, as a additional factor that might be changing that statistics is that in the last 10 years, we've certainly moved towards more digital way of learning and media and there's more access to devices. And there are studies that say that, you know, constant use of devices does impact our attention and our ability to focus and can be a contributor to developing ADHD type of symptoms. Yeah, that, that kind of gives you a reasoning behind why this whole thing, the increase in ADHD has kind of come to because of the increase in electronic devices in households. So is there more than one way to treat ADHD? And if so, can you tell us a few of them? Yes. So, you know, ADHD is treated in a more holistic way. Usually we define there is three domains of interventions. There is a biological intervention, which is where medication comes in. The other arm is psychological interventions where therapy comes in. And then there is social intervention where we draw support from school and home where the child is primarily spending their time. So what we understand is that ADHD affects the child's life, not only at school, but also in the home setting. Like I was mentioning, if uh, they have focus issues, primarily they may struggle with homework and the parents may need to really be um, monitoring that and give them a lot of support and handholding to be able to keep up with school demands. If they are more fidgety and impulse control kind of challenges are there, then they get into what we call as a lot of behavioral problems at home and at school. So because this kind of condition impacts also your behavior, it tends to affect a lot of aspects of your life, social life, home life, and school life. That's why we try to like spread out the interventions to tackle all of those impacts in all those environments. So studies have shown that a combination approach helps the most. So if you are using a medication plus therapy to improve behaviors that might be challenging and coming in the way of life. You know, often parent coaching is part of therapy where parents are guided to help the child to work around some of those maladaptive or negative behaviors resulted, uh, resulting from the impulse control issues. And then there is also individual therapy often that's added for the child who has ADHD because you know, ADHD often leads to poor self-esteem in kids. And the reason for that is that because they are constantly getting into trouble 
at school and at home for behavioral problems or if they are not doing well academically and getting you know reprimanded for that all of that starts to make them feel like i'm a problem child and i'm not being you know good enough or sometimes if they have siblings and other friends they are comparing themselves to and they feel like why am i having to spend 2 hours doing this one sheet of math uh, while others are able to finish it in 30 minutes so there is all these types of things that start to impact their self esteem and generate anxiety and depression often and so teaching them ways to cope with this encouraging them to use the tools that are being provided by their school and their family is a way also to support them and then in terms of social interventions we really ask the school to provide them with accommodations in a public school system um, they are eligible for accommodations through what we call as a 504 plan so they could get extra time to submit work or extra time to take test or get extra instruction um we also tell parents to like get tutoring help um there is also organizational tutors or executive function coaches who help them to build organizational skills because that's one of the deficits that often comes with adhd that you cannot be super organized with your work and how you kind of plan your long term assignment so it it really takes a village to help a child with adhd so it's a combination of biopsychosocial interventions like i mentioned so medication therapy and social support from parents at home and from teachers at school and tutors at times yeah kids with adhd definitely need and deserve a lot of help and support because they're born with something that you know affects their social life it affects how well they do in school and it's not their fault so they they definitely need a lot of help and it's it's actually a pretty common disease so it's sad to know that like there's if it's one in 6 or 7 kids now that's like almost 16 17% of the population that has to go with this and like as you said it's it's not just like they're hyperactive i mean it can really lead to low self esteem it can make life for them very tough and it, they can be very sad but does the type of treatment they get like you said psychotherapy social therapy and biological therapy so does it depend on the level of adhd they have or is it like the different types of adhd more that's a great question so when so yes the treatment does uh, change with the level of uh, severity of these symptoms for the child so essentially if somebody has what we call as mild adhd which is basically you know they have a little bit of a problem with this it's not coming too much in their way of their life they are able to you know manage this um, mostly with some tutoring help and additional accommodations from school then we can often avoid medication in those kids so um when we you know do the assessment we are able to gauge how severe this condition is affecting their life or how severely it is affecting their lives so if it's like just only mildly affecting them then it's called mild adhd if it's causing more issues with like their grades slipping and impacting their self esteem and developing anxiety issues as a result and their depression down the line then that takes them into that moderate to severe category of adhd and so we know that when we are stepping in that moderate 
ADHD or moderate to severe zone of ADHD, then we need to bring in more tools, including a medication. And like I said, like the whole like biopsychosocial interventions seem to be then much, much more effective way to treat them. That's so interesting because I thought that if you had mild ADHD, you really don't get treatment, but you still do. It's just in like smaller doses and less attention. Whereas if you have higher levels of ADHD, you need all this help. Like, as you said earlier, it takes a village to raise a child. If you have higher ADHD, it does truly take a village. Which way of treating ADHD is the most effective? I think a combination approach of biopsychosocial interventions is the best way to treat ADHD. You know, often when kids are diagnosed with ADHD, when they are, let's say, in elementary school years, often, you know, a lot of these kids are very bright. They have super high IQ and they can really compensate for some of these deficits uh, that this condition brings in in terms of the attention issues or, uh, you know, ability to organize. And so just getting extra support from the teachers, from the school, um, having uh, a tutor to work with, having parents work with them to build those organizational skills can be enough and you can um, avoid medication because Generally, by those adding those supports, the psychosocial interventions, one can just thrive and you can still maintain your grades. But often what we see is as you get into higher grades and your academic demands go higher, and then life also, you know, is a more complex. Like once you get to middle school, now you have to switch from a class to class, and then you have to work with different teachers and you have to keep track of different assignments from different classes. Uh, all of that can be sometimes uh, hard for even a bright kid to compensate with this condition just with just psychosocial support. So then in that instance, we do bring in medication, which is really very effective. So the medications that we use to treat ADHD are known as stimulants. Primarily, that's the group we use. There's also another group called non-stimulants. Just briefly, stimulants are medications that in the in the kind of more common lay world, uh, the examples would be Ritalin or Adderall type of medications, and non-stimulants are medications that are medications like Stratera or Tenex uh, or Intuniv. So I, I think you know to just simplify, I'm not like going to give you a lot of information about those, but just to simplify how these help, the medications in the stimulants group basically medications like Ritalin or Adderall, they release this neurochemical in our brain called dopamine in the frontal part of our brain, which is where, you know, like I said, most of our thinking, critical thinking, creative thinking, uh, planning, executive function kind of, you know, sits. So this is a very important neurotransmitter that helps us to focus, to stay motivated, to stay alert, to uh, be able to like, you know, do all those things, uh, steps of executive function to be able to accomplish a task. So stimulants release the dopamine instantly within half an hour after you take it, there is this burst of uh, dopamine that allows you to focus. And then they uh, can work for up to eight to 10 hours. So you take this in the morning and your entire school day and after school day, a couple hours after that could be covered. So you can actually get through your day being more efficient at school and also finish your homework after school. Non-stimulants, on the other hand, 
they take a few weeks to build in your system and they start helping you but then the benefit with the non stimulants is that they work 24/7 so unlike stimulants that have a switch on and switch off kind of mechanism that they work only for certain number of hours non stimulants they take time to build and within a month or so after taking it you will notice that you are able to manage your focus and behavior 24/7 but you have to take it every single day the stimulants are on the other hand you can take it on the school days monday through friday and then on weekends you can skip because they work instantly they go in and out non stimulants you have to keep taking them you know every single day for that ongoing benefit so these are really very effective treatments there is about 90% success rate or our effectiveness rate with the stimulants and non stimulants work about 80% so they're not too behind but they do have this look depending on how you look at it, it's a upside or downside you have to take it every day but then the upside is you have a benefit for the coverage being 24/7 these are medications that have been very very effective and studied for many decades and very safe to use in children wow there are a lot of different ways to treat adhd and i think everyone is a little different so i mean i would assume not everyone needs the same exact treatment like you said you know there's stimulants not stimulants it's just it's just different for everyone when you're getting treatment for ADHD if you were to take just medicine would would that medicine do all the work for you or is it something where you need to take the medicine and you need to actively try to better yourself very very good question yes so this is very important to know uh, and to the listeners who are listening to this podcast who may have had adhd or have a friend or someone they know often people think oh you pop in this pill it releases dopamine and and then you know wow you are able to focus and get through your day yes it helps you to improve your focus but you still have to put in your effort to do the work so it doesn't do the work for you right so it's a simple kind of example i give to help people understand this is like it's almost like when somebody has poor eyesight and they wear glasses like i do the glasses will improve the clarity of my vision and it will really help me look things clearly but i still have to you know of course not only just put them on my eyes but i still have to do my job of where i want to look how i want to you know get through the day different things so so medication is almost like that that pair of glasses that will enhance your ability to focus but you still need to be motivated to do your work you still need to be aware of what assignments are due you still need to use a planner you still need to be making time to study and do your homework it's pretty interesting that like it doesn't go into effect just because the person pops a pill the actual person taking the medicine has to try along with it can someone outgrow adhd and how does that happen yes uh, one can outgrow adhd as i was mentioning earlier they we've done long term studies now followed kids from let's say preschool <laughs> kindergarten time frame to all the way to the end of high school they did one like 10 year long study following those kids who were diagnosed earlier on and they found a third of those kids can outgrow this condition because of the brain development and the skills they learn along the way and you know other other people who end up needing more medication and support in the earlier school years often also need need less of those things or maybe need much lower dose of medication over time because again that's why adding those psychosocial interventions working with an organizational tutor learning those executive function skills 
along the way do help you compensate or find a way to tackle the ADHDs over time. So you can actually, you know, in some ways outgrow it, needing the need of medication, but maybe just use some of your skills that you've learned along the way and can manage your life. That's very interesting. I didn't really know that a person could outgrow ADHD. I thought it's something that just stays with you for the rest of your life, like a disability. It just stays with you and you can't really do anything about it. But apparently you can outgrow ADHD and it gets better as you grow older, correct? That's right. Most of the time. Why is it important to treat ADHD and what would happen if you left it untreated? So like I was mentioning, ADHD by itself generally is not a problem. What follows it, if you don't treat it, it becomes a problem. So kids often develop anxiety because they are not doing as well in school or getting in trouble. Then that ongoing anxiety about doing well in school and grades can, you know, be only amplified as academic demands go up as you move in higher grades. So we do see a lot of, you know, anxiety disorders that are secondary to primary ADHD and also depression as a result that um, happens because a lot of the times we see anxiety can bring in its twin sister depression very quickly if it goes untreated. So we also see a lot of um, older teens particularly are also prone because of their impulse control issues and they are feeling like, you know, not good about themselves are at a higher risk of abusing substances. And so there's a lot of risk of that developing that people tend to then start smoking weed or do vaping or start doing other drugs and feel like, oh, for that moment, they feel better. And so they go into this maladaptive coping mechanisms that can be detrimental. So that's why treating ADHD is important. It's not by itself, one can still kind of manage with a lot of like help from school and, and psychosocial intervention sometimes can help. But if we don't treat it appropriately, if it's more than mild and it needs medication support in addition, then you should do that because the consequences of not treating it and what follows it can be often pretty, pretty detrimental for child's well-being. Yeah, it's, it definitely sounds like if you, if you don't treat it, there's many, many things that could result from it. So you know, it's just better to get the treatment and just nip it at the bud so it doesn't turn into depression, anxiety, drug abuse. Because if you have ADHD and you do treat it with, with coping mechanisms, you could, you know, you could still live a normal life. But once you definitely get into like big episodes of drug abuse and depression, especially if those two go together, it's, it can be very detrimental to your health. So today we interviewed Lina Kanzori a child psychiatrist at adjunct clinical faculty at Stanford. We learned a lot about the treatment of ADHD and how the person getting the treatment has to put effort into it. Again, special thanks to Lina Kanzode for helping us with this podcast. This is the Tarika Foundation, and you are listening to Mindful, Beautiful, and Thriving. Stay safe and stay home. Thank you. You are listening to Mindful, Beautiful, and Thriving, a podcast series by Tharika Foundation. As part of our youth series, we will be releasing new episodes every weekend, so make sure to continue to check those out. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, and thank you so much for listening.